Hey everyone, and welcome to another Christmas-themed episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail. As always, I am joined by... Brendan Norrison, Adam's ho-ho host for tonight. <laughs> yeah, we better pun that starts off, Adam. <laughs> Getting the festive spirit. <laughs> yeah, half of the listeners have already dropped off. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's another Christmas episode. So, I mean, for me, it's hard to believe that we're recording this again because, man, it doesn't feel that long ago we were sat here recording last year's and 2021 has just sort of passed us by, I think. Yeah, I remember recording that one and just this somber feeling in in the air of like, this has been a really weird year and it's been really tough and yeah. uh, really hope that all of you are staying safe out there. All of these things are definitely true, but I think the tone's a little bit a little bit maybe more numb this year because 2021 was the realization that oh that's this is just how it is now like we just yeah. just have to just get used to this um so still hope you're doing well but also can't wait a year from now to have this exact same conversation <laughs> i think like numbness is such a good way to describe it because last year was more of the the fear and loving i suppose of of what was out there and trying to avoid it whereas like you say, we're at that position now where we know what we're fighting against, so to speak, and everybody wants to do as much as they possibly can within the rules. So it's created an interesting, challenging year um, for everybody. The cool thing is that in terms of racing games, 2021 was fairly interesting to say the least. We had our usual kind of mainstays like Formula One, we we had the, the behemoth Forza Horizon 5, and amongst all of that as well, we, we had some cool projects like the Racing Lagoon translation and all that type of stuff. So it's not as if there's a shortage of things to talk about here, is it? You know, I think this year, I feel like entering this year, we kind of suspected it was going to be a quiet year. And I think overall, it, it was a pretty quiet year. Um, I guess it would depend on how strongly you weigh Forza Horizon 5, which not to take anything away from that game, obviously a monumental release, but we had to wait all year for it and it was as good as it was, it was also very predictable. So this wasn't really a year of surprises, but there there were a couple. I mean, like, you know, Circuit Superstars. Yeah. Uh, I remember you talking about that back in the spring, well before it like finally released and and that was a, a fun little discovery that nobody really saw coming. Um, and I mean, that Racing Lagoon translation, we, we talked about it at length our last episode. And if you if you miss it, you can go check it out because that's, that's what it's all about. But um, yeah, that that's definitely my standout gaming highlight of the year. No question. It's I don't think... I, I don't know if I will ever have another experience again for the rest of my life where I play a game that makes me feel like that weird sense of like fake deja vu that doesn't exist <laughs> yeah like a game that i feel like i grew up with but i really didn't yeah i think that's a good way of describing it because as we talked about at length in the episode and obviously we don't want to repeat too many points about it it just offered an experience that you, you just really don't get nowadays um we get sort of experimental stuff in racing games but that was just such a a bolt from the blue taking established concepts from GRPGs and stuff and wrapping it in a racing game and having the chance to play it in English as if it was just like a new re newly released game was like such a surreal experience and 
perfectly suited to the times we're in now, I suppose, in terms of offering us something that we didn't really see coming. And it's been great to see the reception that it's had as well, just in terms of mainstream games media covering it, and then obviously the, the kind of racing genre fans themselves have kind of welcomed this with open arms. And um, I mean, personally, I've still not played it as much as I would have liked to past the pod, but for me, it's it's one of the most interesting experiences I've had in a racing game in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to think, like, how often do you have that experience where you get to play a new game that is a product from, you know, 20 years ago, from a different time? Like, I obviously complain a lot about sort of the the cookie-cutter nature, excuse me, of, uh, of a lot of the open-world racing games out there today. And here you have, you know, technically it's not open world, but here you have the 1999 JRPG version of that. And it instantly transports you back to another time and kind of puts those, I guess, feelings and opinions on trial in terms of like everyone always says that they want something old school. It's like, here's a game that's actually giving it to you because it very much is old, but no one's played it before, at least on this side of the world. Um, and you kind of come face to face with that. And it, if anything, it confirmed to me like, yes, this is what I want. <laughs> I, I <laughs> thought this was what I wanted and it is in fact what I wanted. And I would love if, uh, you know, kind of the, the indie scenes sort of, sort of pick that up. But yeah, it, it was, it was a year where there were games like that. There were games like circuit superstars as, as I said, where it's like, you know, you had this like weirdly serious racing game wrapped in like this very uh casual looking sort of uh quaint appearance um and i think it's cool whenever games sort of subvert expectations like that uh it's not my kind of game but i appreciate what it's trying to do yeah uh, i think that's uh, a good way of putting it i think when we discussed it initially i did kind of talk a bit about the promise that the game had and the interesting concepts that it that it contains and i kind of fall into a similar boat to you adam in the sense that it, it very much it blew me away at first with what it was trying to do but i think we've talked before about like our feelings on top-down racers and kind of scroller racers that it doesn't really kind of tick the boxes for us that we we look for, especially if it's like a retro throwback type thing. And with Circuit Superstars, I really liked the conviction of what they were going for um, and the way it was pulled off was fairly interesting and they're still supporting that game very well through to the original release and then yeah. the addition of further DLC and stuff. A lot of people like the kind of vibe the game has and the, the kind of atmosphere. Um, it, it's an interesting title for a lot of reasons. For me, it's just one of these games, I suppose, where in a modern landscape, where does it fit in and who's, what game's time does it take away for somebody to want to sure. play it? Because you think about something that Racing Lagoon, a weird comparison, I know, but with Racing Lagoon, there's a very distinct experience there that you can get from that game. The issue with something with Circuit Superstars, I suppose, is that if you want that kind of track-going racing experience, my god, do you have options nowadays. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's so many different places you can get it. And beyond a kind of uh, a niche representation of that type of racing, it it doesn't really have that kind of pull it should have, I suppose. And I think on the podcast I had suggested that maybe there were certain things they could have done that used 
DRS care systems and stuff in a unique way to try and spice up the gameplay, make it a bit more arcadey. Um, some of the people that listen to that podcast fed back saying, no, 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 that would ruin the experience of what this is offering and and it, it, that, that isn't what it's going for. It doesn't need to be that way, which is fair enough, of course. But hmm. for me, I did get that kind of overarching feeling after that initial honeymoon period of if I want to do circuit racing, pers- from a personal perspective, it's always going to be GT Sport, and I'm sure everybody else has a <laughs> similar type game they would go for. And another, yeah. they, they are not in direct competition. I just mean in terms of that kind of racing experience that requires a lot of focus and attention. People may veer more towards games when it's a little bit more in depth, and I think Circuit Superstars was maybe just a little too vanilla in the end. Yeah, it's interesting to to talk about like how it is that like some sort of mashups of of genres or more and less serious racing games like how sometimes they can be done really well in the sense of like you know this is exactly what i was looking for and other times it's kind of off-putting to the degree of like well if i wanted you know a serious racing game i would play a seto corsa or something like that you know like and that was kind of a big factor, uh, not to keep bringing it back to Racing Lagoon, but of our Racing Lagoon discussion where, you know, the, the thinking at the time was, um, you know, to basically make an assumption because it's not like I was in Japan in 1999, but like, hey, you know, if I want to play a realistic racing game or if I want to play a racing game that like looks this great with like cars I can tune or whatever, why wouldn't I play Gran Turismo? And I think that this genre is always kind of fighting that. Yeah. Um it's kind of, it's 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 never really something that's going to go away and uh <laughs> you know I it actually reminds me of when we did the uh the Grid Endurance event in 2019 because <laughs> yeah. you know Stadia is a horrible horrible way to experience any game for the first time and that goes without saying <laughs> but the, the one thing that just kept bugging me when I first started playing that game which was only like a day before we did that race was how incredibly touchy um, the curbs were. Like when yeah, when you would like yeah. raise a curb at like the Red Bull Ring or whatever. I think I was driving the 911, and I would just spin out like on command in a way that never happens in iRacing, in a way that never happens in Gran Turismo. Like yes, you there, there's low grip on the curb, but like it was just like it would it it was almost like scripted. And that was the kind of situation where it was like, if I wanted to be fucking, you know, repeatedly like punched in the face over something like this, I would play a realistic racing game. I wouldn't <laughs> play grid. So like, I remember, I remember that bothering me. Um, and funnily enough, you know, the, the grid legends is coming out next year. So, uh, that's, that's as we, as we move, as we transition into the year ahead discussion, uh, that that's going to come up again. Yeah, exactly. And you're in the kind of beneficial standpoint, I suppose, of, of already experiencing one of these games that we'll end up talking about. Grid Legends, obviously. Yeah. Just kind of mentioned it. And, uh, yeah, we've not actually discussed it on the podcast, yeah. so I suppose. It's something <laughs> that you might be able to go into a bit of detail on, because one of my wish list topics is going to be about Grid Legends, so you'll actually be able to give me some first-hand feedback, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because I think I I played the the preview build that they had that they sent to the media, and then I think we uh, then proceeded to do a podcast about racing lagoon. So I, I never <laughs> really talked about thing ever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> never really talked about grid legends on the air. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, hey, we can we can just uh, take a brief aside for that because it's worth it's worth tapping into. This is going to be the first big racing game of the year, and it it has the very uh, unenvious position of coming out Oof. right before Gran Turismo <laughs> Seven, and I yeah. I know that uh, nobody wanted that. It just it just happened, you know, it's with, with, especially with the end of the year, with how EA was kind of moving things around. You saw those studios that were moved off of their projects and then make room for Battlefield and Battlefield ended up being a complete disaster. Um, yeah, it just, it, it just worked out that way. So I really hope that people, it's going to be tough, but I really hope that people are able to make time for grid legends because although i can't you know definitively say if i think it's a great game or not because <laughs> i only play the preview yeah. um you know it is it is kind of unique it's if you play grid 2019 and i remember having this conversation back when that game came out and you had played it and you know you just kind of felt like it was it, it, it sort of had the core of a of a fun experience and there were flashes that took you back to grid but just didn't string together in the cohesive way that that maybe the original games did you know i don't know if this is going to be sort of the the return to form for grid but i think it definitely is a step in the right direction and and if anything else like i'm just honestly amazed at the at the amount of content in that game uh, in grid legends like it it is a surprisingly deep game and uh more than anything else i think the thing that you know it's 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 a patch on the original grid in the sense of like the physics and everything like it feels like that game but a little bit smoother but just the the breadth of like city courses for example like i haven't seen street circuits like the ones in that game and god knows how long there's one in like moscow that's like it's like a three minute lap like it, it, it kind of feels, it kind of feels like one of those like, um, like Need for Speed high stakes, like one of those like classic Need for Speed titles that had like the epically long tracks. Um, it sort of, it sort of reminds me of that, and and the whole street racing vibe. There's, you know, I would say that's probably closer to Project Gotham Racing than anything that we've had in a long time. Um, there are a lot of moments, especially driving around like the track in Russia, where I was thinking like. This, this feels like PGR and, you know, sure enough, Paul Lavelle, who of course, uh, you know, friend of the show has been on a bunch of times and he's working on the game. He, he has said that he shares that opinion that, you know, it just, <laughs> that, that, that's kind of the, the name that keeps coming up as they work on this game, which I think is like pretty high praise. I mean, obviously it's coming internally, but like, you know, I, I feel that too. So, uh, yeah, I mean, without, without going into incredible specifics um i'm excited for it and i just really you know it's just a victim of circumstance and and not to doom the game before it comes out of course but i i hope that you know th this might be a case where depending on the return on investment they expect to get moving it on to something like game pass i mean or ea player whatever as soon as possible would probably work to its benefit and would ensure a decent player base um that might be sort of the most prudent option at this point but you know we'll have to see how it all unfolds yeah and and you throw in the cross platform multiplayer alongside that and you've got a, a, an arcade racer that's incredibly playable across a variety of platforms and if there's one 
area that we haven't really ticked off in the racing game side of things. I think it is a highly dependable cross-platform racing game that people want to play. Um, I think to this point we've had Dirt 5. Um, is that about? Is that it in terms of Xbox to PlayStation? Am I missing a few? Um, I must be missing I a few. I can't remember. I don't... No, Project Cars doesn't. F1 must, right? Um, or does it not? Maybe. I, I'm not sure, yeah. actually. I'd need to, to look into that. I'd be guessing leaderboards at the very least, because Codemasters has been doing that for ages anyway. Um, yeah. But, but no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, like, it's... Uh, it kind of makes you wonder that the first game to really master cross-platform play, Xbox, PC, and PS, uh, PS5, you know, via the racing games, uh, is has the potential to explode in the way that, like, you know, not 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 to the same uh, degree, obviously, but in the way of like an Apex or a Fortnite, you know, a thinking. game. Yeah. a game that is really accessible to everyone and i'm just amazed like that's why i could not believe it when dirt 5 came out and they were like we'll add cross play later <laughs> because i was i i like that game and i was like you guys are shooting yourself in the foot like you can't yeah. that that should have been a priority from day one um we're at a point now where cross play isn't a nice to have i think especially for racing games that depend on on that that player base uh it's a must-have so you know, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, even, you know, Microsoft obviously understands that with how Forts is playable across both Xbox generations and PC. And a lot of people kind of frame the Gran Turismo 7 on PS4 discussion as a function of like, oh, they can't sell enough PS4s, <laughs> but, or they can't, they can't sell enough PS5s or they can't, they can't get them out there. But um, I think it's just a smart thing from the player base uh, perspective because, you know, Gran Turismo needs that for sport mode. And it's extremely yep. important that they have, um, you know, a sufficient um, uh, number of players active at any given moment. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that point ties into what's on one of my wish list points as well, what you just said there, <laughs> funnily enough. But um, I mean, to tie back to Grid Legends and the potential that's there. I've seen firsthand what the Grid series is actually capable of in terms of bringing a more kind of mainstream audience into the racing games and making them excited about them again. I think I've, I've mentioned this a few times, but for whatever reason, the original race driver Grid really like got the attention of my dad, and he became a proper like Grid online player for what must have been like a year and a half. He even the driver oh, was man. online and stuff. He knew their names. They popped <laughs> up, and he's like, "I'm gonna get this guy." Wow! And it was like it just like that was it for for a good like year and a half it'd be like playing race driver grid till midnight and then just fucking about in playstation home it's a very surreal experience because <laughs> like, my dad didn't really play any games at all after like pro evolution soccer 4 or something and for some reason that combo just be like a few beers <laughs> just playstation home Fantastic. annoy some people play some grid <laughs> but like that that's always my kind of reference point to what i think grid is capable of and then in many respects our grid event was also in a similar vein that type of experience of we had fucking like games journalists in that event, we had game developers in that event, we had games fanatics in that event, we had some of my friends in real life who didn't play racing games in that event, and we all had an absolute fucking, it was an absolute crazy cocktail of nonsense because it was on yeah. Stadia, but the actual kind of racing and stuff was a good laugh, and I really think that Grid Legends is 
got the chance to kind of tap into that, especially with the kind of corny story and stuff that it's going to have, and and however that turns out, that will be a good kind of uh, an interesting thing that might get people to download it. Um, I'm very much in the same mindset as you, Adam, where it's like you need to put this in as many people's hands as possible, and that is the the key part. Um, even if you take away Gran Turismo 7's close launch, for me, I think, and this is like total, like this is just speculation on my part and the way I've seen things. I have a feeling Codemasters know exactly where their games flourish and where they get noticed the most. And I really do think it's these platforms like Game Pass and, and PlayStation Plus and the like that makes people actually kind of pay a lot of attention to what they have to offer. You'll always have the hardcore that buy the games, but it, it's one of these situations where even something like Dirt Rally was getting a bit of traction on these platforms and that's as hardcore as it gets arguably in terms of the discipline it's trying to show. The, their games just kind of shine on those type of platforms. The, the, kind of, the, the ownership of EA now will help play into that a lot more and I'm sure they'll be able to get onto those platforms sooner through EA Play. I think Red Legends has got a great load of potential here and I've not played it obviously, I've read your fantastic preview on Jalopnik, small plug there, go read it. <laughs> um, and it does sound like it's a step forward from kind of 2019, which is what I expected to be honest. Um, I think there's a lot of grandiose comments about the support that game was that was that game was going to get that were kind of silently dropped and then the game was just kind of finished, so to speak. I think everybody yeah. had a feeling they were moving on to the next thing, which was kind of confirmed quickly after. And if you think about Codemaster stable, the stable of racing games that it's going to have, um, th there are murmurs of how they will freshen that up. And th where Grid Legends can now sit, if those other things kind of come into fruition, means that there's some real opportunity here for, for Grid Legends to kind of carve out that arcade multiplayer racing space for itself. Because... Being truthfully honest, is there another arcade racer out there that can match the kind of platform reach that Good Legends is going to have, cross-platform multiplayer potential through EA Play? Like this could be a game that's that's very, very available for a lot of people, and that is so important in the age of Apex, Fortnite, and the likes. It's the the kind of mind space of gamers now comes through the, the the means they have to play games as opposed to the hype beforehand. I feel feel as if if you put your game out there and people can actually get into the, the kind of nuts and bolts of it, they'll know if it's for them. I think Red Legends probably won't have a massive hype train before it comes out. I think it could actually experience a little upshoot in popularity once it does release and some of the information about the game is actually being fed by players. I think that's the way I kind of see it going.
All right, so we've we've had a bit of a of a chat about the games that came out this year that we enjoyed the most. Um, we have a bit of a chat about the games coming out, or at least one of the games coming out next year that we're excited for. And now, uh, thought would be good to kind of move this in the direction of of a wish list sort of discussion for 2022, and not so much in the terms of like you know, new games coming out in 2022 we want to play because if I'm honest, the list right now is pretty slim. Obviously, Gran Turismo 7 is a Titanic release, but beyond that, who knows what we're going to get. Um, so it's really not so much about GT7 or any game coming out next year specifically, but more about the games that we've always wanted to check out that we just haven't yet for whatever reason that have kind of slipped us by. And uh, this, this idea sort of sort of generated because we're just kind of talking about like games that we'd like not uh discussed on the previous you know 60 episodes of time extend uh series that we we haven't uh paid as much attention to and i guess kind of where we want our attention to go next year uh personally i was i was thinking long and hard about this and the one game that uh i know that i can probably figure out how to get running on my pc uh, if I do a little bit of research, um, but I absolutely want to prioritize is Sega World Drivers Championship uh, because little, at some point this year, um, a couple months ago, I think, uh, a build for that started circulating, and I assume, although I don't know exactly, I assume it's playable in Techno Parrot like all the other recent Sega arcade games. And the people who do know about that game and have played it have said it's not very good but frankly i don't care i <laughs> i see it in motion and i just think like yeah this you know super gt uh in in an arcade racing game made by sega with like fictional tracks doesn't look too serious has pumping music you can barely <laughs> hear the cars and music so loud yeah i'm okay with this 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 is my jam <laughs> yeah, it is, it's a great choice as well because it's well, it's a Sega arcade racer first and foremost, but also falls into that category of um, similarity Racing Lagoon had, where we just didn't have any means of actually experiencing this game before it was available on Techno. So it's it's opened that up to us. Um, one of the reasons I, I'd be really keen to check out that game as well is it, the reception seems surprisingly middling, like not what I would expect. Um, most people who play it, it seems to kind of go one way or the other. Some people say obviously it's a new Sega arcade game, that's great. But then there's others that say that it's it's pretty um, pretty stoic and boring, which is a surprise. So, I mean, I, I've listened to the soundtrack quite a bit on Spotify since you can find it on there, which is great. Um, but I can't imagine the game being born with those tunes playing. <laughs> but um, yeah. I guess we'll find out once we, we get around to visiting it. There is, like, watching it in motion, I can understand why it might be boring in the sense that, like, it has a very generic sort of Unreal Engine racer quality to it. Yeah. And I don't really know how the how to describe that in, in a way that's a little bit more specific to this game um, you know because people say that a lot about a lot of games that, that run on that engine but it's just something about 
the way that the cars move or really don't, it doesn't seem like a very dynamic or visceral racing game. And, and honestly, and this is going to piss a lot of people off, uh, all of those complaints, it honestly reminds me of like a Ridge Racer, like late, late era Ridge Racer type thing where it's like... <laughs> I the, the something like yes the game is moving very fast and and yes the music's pumping but I don't feel anything like the, those are probably the uh, the the complaints I feel like I I might have uh, judging yeah. from from watching footage of it but that said I feel like they I you know it it has that kind of of theme to it but I also still think it's a pretty looking game I mean it's not definitely not boundary pushing um you know i don't know what the hardware is but i'm assuming it's nothing super sophisticated or special all that's to say you know it's a sega racing game and those don't really happen anymore so that that's really the only reason i need to to want to play it <laughs> yeah and let's be honest that applies to 90 percent of people listening as well <laughs> i would say um any sort of sega racing game that exists that we haven't played we will hunt down and play it and we finally have a means of doing it for sega world drivers championship um and yeah i do think that's probably a an episode in its own right to be honest it probably wouldn't have to share the stage with anything else um it's just about getting around to actually playing it which is shouldn't be too hard now that it is a bit more easily available and 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 it's super gt which is just objectively the coolest form of racing there is Absolutely. It doesn't. It doesn't get any better than Super GT. Yeah, we really need a dedicated game for that series. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's that's my you know number one priority for 2022. So, what about you, Brendan? So my number one priority shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, to be honest. I've kind of prefaced this quite a few times now, but we will get around to it. Um, I'd love to do an episode on the uh, Penny Racers slash Choro Q series. I really, really like these games. Um, they, they offer a, a kind of a strange brand of racing that definitely feels like budget racer, but has some kind of cool, interesting ideas in there in terms of creating the cars, that type of thing. Um, there's a lot of kind of quirkiness, as you would expect, for a, a game effectively about toy chibi cars. Um, for me, this is one that's been a long time coming in terms of getting an episode around, and Adam, you're in the fortunate position of never having played any of these games, if I'm correct, yeah? Yeah, no, I haven't played a single one. I was actually thinking that it was going to be on my list for games I want to tackle in ne next year, but it's definitely one that we, when that happens, we should do a show on it, because you... As long as I've known you, you've never stopped talking about it. <laughs> yeah. They're just such interesting games because they, uh, as the kind of series goes along, it, it, it's almost kind of like aping a lot of more popular series. So, and the Nintendo 64 type titles that were there, they were more kind of similar to like kart racers, I would say, because that's where the kind of zeitgeist was. But when you get to the kind of early PlayStation 2 uh, era games and, and that type of thing, you start to see some kind of interesting concepts like endurance racing start filtering through and that's obviously Gran Turismo's influence there. Um, license tests as well being a, a, a large crucial part of the, uh, the kind of later games. And then there's like some kind of games that are more out of left field as well where maybe things like Grand Theft Auto 3 were taking off from an open world perspective. Uh, Penny Racers slash Choro Q did its own thing through Road Trip Adventure as well trying to kind of capitalise on that type of market given the Kind of previously 
stoic and lifeless vehicles, a bit more of a personality and character and stuff like that. Um, it's a series I'm surprised has just sort of vanished, to be honest, because even up until the Wii, um, there were quite a lot of games coming out for it. I'm guessing it's just a byproduct of games becoming increasingly more expensive to make, because make no mistake, these games definitely have that budget racing game feel, but that almost plays into the, the kind of the fun of the experience. And the reason it's on my list is because I feel as if because each game can be um, so different, it leads to um, some interesting conversations because some people might love one of the entries but not like the others. Um, there, There is a lot of kind of difference between each of these games that make them worth talking about so it's not one one series where you might play one game and then you know what to expect for the others that there are definitely titles in the series that i don't really like that much despite liking some of the others and it, it would be interesting just to have a conversation around that because there's definitely some people that think the series should have leaned more into what kind of road trip adventure tried to do in terms of being more of a open world um, kind of mission driving based experience but then there there's people like myself who think like the PS the, the first PS2 game that came out in the Europe it was just called Penny Racers there wasn't a subtitle or anything like that for me that was the peak because it was that linear racing experience with fantastic customization endurance racing uh, a lot of content um, a lot of kind of cool car bodies and stuff um, for me that one's the peak so It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts, Adam. I think you'd kind of trend more towards my thinking that the more linear experiences are better, but it'll be interesting once we get around to it. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm browsing Wikipedia. I'm kind of looking through these games and it, it looks like it has such a convoluted history. There's yeah. so many of them. Uh, a lot of them just kind of have very repetitive names. I mean, at least like, I, I, I see just Churro Q showing up at least like three or four times on this list um, as just the name of a game of several Churro Qs. Um, <laughs> in uh, the, the, the one that came out in 2004 and 2005 that was developed by Barnhouse Effect, which is a developer I've never heard of before <laughs> in my life, um, that was just called Churro Q in the West, but in Japan it was called Chur Churro Q HG4, which is... I love how the the cutest, like most you know, theoretically like simple games have the most convoluted names, <laughs> especially in Japan. Just makes makes no sense. But uh, these are cool, and and you know, I I haven't played one before, but looking at them, I I kind of am reminded of uh, I, I had a stint in like 2019 or 2020 where I was obsessed with Rally Day Europe and Rally Day Africa. Uh, yeah. And those games are not like you're not driving toy cars and they're rally games, but there is like they're kind of budget titles. And also something about the way the cars are modeled, they seem like I don't think it's intentional because because you look at some games, especially like on the on the Sega Saturn from this era and like their most effective way of doing realistic car modeling made everything look like it was like, you know, one of those like uh, rollback motorized cars you buy at like a drugstore. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, was it high velocity mountain challenge has like the, the cutest car models you've ever seen. And it's not trying to be that kind of game, but that's kind of the closest thing I can imagine, at least visually to like churro Q and having, 
dabbled in like the Micro Machines games, which I know is a different sort of thing, but but those really didn't do it for me. Uh, I'm kind of curious if this will be a game with toy cars that actually actually sort of speaks to my interest. Oh, because yeah. I, I it's, think so. it, it seems it seems like it's been a lot of different things, as you say too, which also maybe uh, increases a chance that if one of them doesn't work for me, another one might. The interesting thing about Q is, um, are you aware that it's actually a toy line as well, Adam? Or yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so yeah, you're aware yeah. of that then. So I think that the interesting thing is that the the games are so close to being pretty much a a young budding car fanatic stream because if all of the the cars and stuff that were in these games were licensed, then eventually I think it was the Wii game where the cars were actually licensed. Um, if all these cars and car bodies and stuff are licensed, like I can just imagine this series would have had much more of an impact, but obviously licensing would stop that from happening. But you look at like the Penny Racers or Choro Q cars released nowadays and you've got like the Civic Type R and the FN2 Civic as well, and you've got like this kind of big selection of cars from modern and legacy eras. And I think there'd be something so endearing about a toy car game like that. No slight to Hot Wheels Unleashed, for example. But because that's more kind of proportionally correct car sizes, it's a little less fun in my opinion. Whereas with Choro Q, I just love the way some of these little cars look like a Ferrari F40 just like squeezed down, <laughs> like heightened up as much as possible just to look ridiculous and the game just kind of oozes fun like that and I think that's why you might enjoy it. One of the the um, the sad things about the Western releases is that for a, a good chunk the kind of cover art and artistic flair for the games is pretty much butchered as was the case for a lot of games in this era where the Japanese covers for these games are incredible looking, they're, they're very fun, they're very vibrant um, but then in the West it's kind of a lot more diluted and doing that weird thing where a game like this will benefit from having a realistic colour palette or so somebody thought <laughs> and it just kind of nullifies the, the kind of the fun factor I suppose but that's a very minor gripe because the actual gameplay is obviously identical but if you look at some of the kind of Choro Q toys and stuff that were available I always do wonder what it could have been like to have like a fully properly licensed like Choro Q game like my favourite versions of the game but it was like kind of uh, linear racing I think you could have had a fantastic game here but that doesn't take away from the fact that the games that actually came out are budget but they're good fun and uh, there's just something so funny about attaching wings and like a kind of <laughs> a floating device to a, a minibus or something and watching it blast past a Bugatti or something and the, the, the engine swaps and all that type of stuff it's great fun and there's a good amount of variety to the gameplay it's it's an interesting series and it's still one I think that a lot of people have actually overlooked and I, I do think it's that thing that they look incredibly budget and in Europe that was absolutely the case since they were published under Midas Interactive who just pretty much put their name to, oh, to anything yeah. really. Um, <laughs> so Penny Racers was left that much of an impact on me that it made me try some of the other racing games that they had published which was a huge mistake but that's more of an endorsement for how good <laughs> Penny Racers was as opposed to um, anything Midas did specifically well obviously some of the shit they published is um, better left not talked about you know what's funny is like I'm just you know browsing google images kind of looking at these various versions of these games and like uh, the PS2 one 
looks unsurprisingly bland and and pretty <laughs> lifeless. I feel like I wouldn't yeah. like this yeah. game. But then when I look at like the PlayStation One games, they're they're beautiful. Like these low poly, you know, the the textures just have these gigantic pixels, and but they look good. Like they look uh, almost like kind of DS games, uh, but like a pretty like maybe like a Mario Kart DS or something like that, which um, is is a style I think works better for a game like this. And even though, uh, well, the one on the N64 looks really, really gross, but the one on the GameCube <laughs> looks, which is called uh, Road Trip the Arcade Edition, which is a yeah. hilarious name, um, that one doesn't look half bad. Uh, you know, kind of a halfway between, like, the really pretty PS1 games and the really ugly PS2 games. Uh, I feel like a game like this would definitely benefit from... Uh, you know, being revisited today in the indie space because, like, it's relatively easy to make a game with that signature low-poly look, uh, whereas back in the day, um, especially on, like, the PS2 or something, everything everything had to be, you know, as realistic as possible. Even this game about toy cars had to have these, like, incredibly muted, dull colors and, and like, smeary textures and... You know, thankfully, we've kind of moved beyond that. So, uh, yeah, it looks like this is going to be one of those classic series where some of them are terrible and some of them are, <laughs> are like just these rare gems that you just never expect to find. Yeah, exactly. And the one that you describe as boring, as boring as uh, funnily enough, the the one that I enjoy the most. But visually, that that is the the one I was referencing when I'm saying like it's almost in, it almost feels as if it was influenced in byproduct by Gran Turismo or something or they've tried to replicate a more standard looking racing game and yeah. it definitely just kind of nullifies the, the vibe of the game a bit but Road Trip Adventure in itself there's a there's an absolutely hilarious piece of dialogue that I always remember from that game when I was young and I'm, I'm going to post it on the Time Extent Twitter now as well <laughs> but it's like it's two cars talking and one of them's like what are you saying and the other guy's like I'm tired of being president. Why do I have to be locked up in this small room? And it's just like two old like American cars just like on the screen as if they're having this like dramatic debate. Oh my god. It's, it's just so fucking funny, man. The dialogue in that game is incredible. There's like a there's a specific character um who's like a bin truck. And it's so funny because in every game this bin truck is always dead last. You're lapping it if it's more than like two laps a race and stuff. And by the time Road Trip Adventure comes around, they really kind of uh, flesh out that characteristic that this guy is slow, but he chooses to be slow because he's taking in the scenery and just enjoying himself. And mm. <laughs> it's just a lot of like silly bits of characterization <laughs> like that. So it will definitely be di exciting. It will be different, but it will be. I'll be curious to hear your thoughts, Adam. Well, I'll tell you, I just discovered that uh, uh, Choro Q Park was released for the Sega Saturn in Japan. I'm assuming that it costs $18 billion, but if I can get it for a reasonable price, uh, I will do that. Actually, looks like loose discs are 10, complete 25. That's very attainable. And like oh, I, yeah. I've been wanting to get my hands on more more Japanese Saturn uh, racing games. I just never know which to buy because, yeah. honestly, most of them end up being quite disappointing. Everyone talks about, like, the Shotoku games or whatever, or, or Toge, and I, I never really liked any of them. But yeah. this looks like fun. 
There's a fantastic low poly Lancia Delta in that game as well. So you've definitely oh. got to buy it just to see that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's so pretty. Oh, look, there's a, there's a Game Boy Advance one. Did you ever yeah. play that one? I did yeah. indeed. That's actually when I got my GBA, it came with that and GT um GT events, yeah. yeah. So that was a, a good day. <laughs> I have just secured. Well, you know, I don't have it in my possession, but a pre-order for a uh, an analog pocket. So that seems like the perfect. Oh, uh, that Amazing. seems like the perfect game to to get into that system with. Absolutely, I'm incredibly jealous. I did see pre-orders were live again. I was so so close to pulling the trigger. These early impressions for that device are incredible. Some of the kind of Game Boy games, uh, racing games, sorry, are going to look incredible on that screen. Yeah, uh, I think people, <laughs> uh, Ben Jedwards, who's a guy who's, um, you know, he's, he's written a lot and his violins are all over the place, but he's on uh, he's on Retronauts. He had, a, he had a thread that I went through today that was about like, <laughs> uh, he, he was like, it's a good device, but like, it's not perfect. And nobody's talking about the ways in which it's not perfect. And um apparently like the the tolerances for like the cartridge slot are so incredibly slim that like if you put a cartridge in and not quite the right way it could like press up against the label and actually kind of scuff it or peel it off um which i i know i i've never been most of my game boy cartridges especially because i haven't played those systems in so long um are in horrible horrible states like they work but they look like absolute trash so i've never been the kind of like Game Boy fan that's gonna obsess over the quality of like my cartridge or whatever, but like basically the point the point he was making was that like hey it's not it's good, but like I think that there's not enough tempering of expectations in the press, which um yeah, you know the way and, and honestly I'm guilty of this too, because I remember I've I reviewed the analog uh the S the uh, Mega SG and the Super N2 when I was a Tom's guy, then I, I think sometimes we get so like just happy that someone is making a device like this that we we maybe tend to overlook things that aren't necessarily where they need to be uh, because in the grand scheme of things it, I'm sure it's a I'm sure it's a great device but uh, also you know Analog's a small company and uh, they probably aren't going to get things right in their first try but regardless I am uh, I'm very very excited. To you know, to have this uh, brief brief aside about uh, new hardware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like you say, I think with these kind of enthusiast specialist devices, the, the fact of the matter is, a lot of people have already kind of made up their minds and that they're going to love the damn thing because why wouldn't you look at it? It's it's so beautiful. <laughs> but um, it'll be interesting. I, I've actually made the call that if I'm going to get that or the Playdate, I don't know if you've seen that, I'm going to go for the yes, Playdate because it's such a mm. strange looking device. However, the Pocket might be back on the menu because that the, the production of that has been absolutely hammered by the chip shortages apparently and they're having to rework the entire motherboard. So who knows when that will even release now. For, really the, for the Playdate? Yeah, so for the Playdate, the, um, the yeah. chipset they were using... Partly the shortages are that bad, they couldn't get any until like 2024 for the specific stuff they were looking for. Oh so they've had God. to basically go right back to the drawing board. And I don't mind pre-ordering these devices to show support, but that is an incredibly large setback. So maybe the pocket might be in my future a bit sooner than I thought. I thought the Playdate was a really cool looking device, but it just... it. 
it's one of those things I want to love. Like I, I want to be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I need this in my life. But unfortunately, if I'm honest, like <clears throat> nobody needs the it. design. <laughs> yeah, the, the design looks really, really cool. I imagine it feels amazing to like turn that crank and everything. And that's like such a cool, wacky idea that I support it. But like, it's just not the kind of games I like to play. Like, yeah, yeah I'm even stretching it with the pocket because I know like I'm, I'm not going to really go back and like i think i have a copy of like super mario land 2 i'm probably <laughs> not gonna play it for more than like 10 minutes yeah. but i know that i have enough random game boy games that i'll get some enjoyment out of it and also like the support for uh for game gear and you know now maybe i i i'd been like going back and forth with myself over like the last 10 years about whether or not i should pick up a neo geo pocket color but this just supports neo geo pocket color game so you know i'm set yeah, I think that's the the thing, isn't it? With all these types of devices, the the truth of the matter is, you'll never play them as much as the price probably <laughs> probably demands. But it is very much it's a it's a want for hardware. I think that is the, kind of the main driver for buying it. I know for the play date for me, uh, for example, the reason I was going for that was literally just the the very unique concept that it had, um, as opposed to anything specifically it'll offer. But part of me is also like keen to see if some strange racing game-esque thing type ends up on it and it'd be pretty time extend to have some sort of review of that game on that console <laughs> i'd love that, to imagine uh, like some kind of wireframe you know yeah, kind of wipeout type game it would probably hurt your eyes but it would also <laughs> probably look uh pretty cool yeah it would indeed what a strange aside that we've ended up on from penny racers <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's one of the cool things about doing an episode like this is we just kind of go wherever the conversation takes us. But um, yeah, and then, hey, it could, uh, you know, especially if you can get your hand on one too, it could spur kind of a of an episode about, I think we did one on handheld racers. Like, yeah. Pretty did. damn sure we did. But yeah. uh, there's so many that I've just kind of forgotten about that <laughs> I played a lot back in the day and... Uh, the GT Advance games are one of them. I, I had GT Advance 3, I think, and uh, that game was really, really cool at the time when, you know, like two or three years before the PSP came out when, like, the idea of, like, a polygonal racing game on a handheld was impossible. So the best thing you were going to get was GT Advance, but it was it was cool for what it was and uh, had really good music and stuff, so... It'll, it'll be nice to have an excuse to kind of go back and play those games again because honestly like the idea of trying to huddle against the lamp to play a Game Boy Advance um, <laughs> yeah. just just seems like just just horrible <laughs> you miserable. really need to source a copy of V-Rally 3 on the GBA we talked about that in our showcases yeah. episode yeah. on obviously um, I would love to see what that looks like on that device that will look incredible yeah that uh top gear rally I, I thankfully that's one i know i do have so that'll be cool um i remember playing like the virtua tennis port sega had a number of really cool ports on the gba in the very beginning and uh virtua tennis uh choo choo rocket yeah um i think there was a crazy taxi one if i'm not i know i know there's sega rally obviously but i think there was a crazy taxi one that i've seen images of and it looks it looks really hard to play I think it's they, catch they, a like, ride, isn't it? Crazy Taxi Catch a Ride or something. Yeah, they, they did like... PSP, I think. I think the PSP one was Fair Wars. Yeah, yeah. But the one on the Game Boy Advance, they, they 
Definitely. It's it, it's fine when you play these games and you see a sprite and you're like, they, you know, froze, they froze those sprites from like the, the Dreamcast version, obviously. And so it's <laughs> by far, it's the best looking thing on this screen because like their 3D engine was just not, you know, it was a GBA. So except for like two or three games that tried to do that, most of them looked like complete trash. Yeah, it is. I think the Need for Speed games are surprisingly great looking, aren't they, on the GBA? I think I've, I've seen some people talking about that before, so once again, maybe some other cartridges to hunt down once you get your hands on it. <laughs> Look forward to uh, to our GBA uh, racers episode <laughs> coming next year. Um, I think I'm in like the first quarter of shipments, too, for next year, which was oh, really, really lucky. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, that was my pick um, to, to match your first one. Adam, do you have another wish list episode that you're hoping to cover for the next year? Uh, I mean, not not especially. Like, I, I, I know there are games <laughs> that we need to talk about that we just haven't yet because yeah. we've been trying to get them. Or, like, one that I've really been wanting to get into is Daytona 2001. Yes. Um, but I yeah. know that one's really... Like, I have it, but I know it's really hard for you to get your hands on it. Um, and I don't necessarily know that we both need to play every game that we talk about. But, like, it, there there are a lot of gaps in series that we've talked about with individual <laughs> games that we just haven't really discussed. And, you know, for all that we say about, like, Scud Race, we, we never had an episode about that either. Um, so maybe yeah. maybe 2022 will be the year where we finally... Uh, you know, come to come to uh, grips with both of those things, and um, I know you have Sega Rally 2006, so that would be really cool to talk yeah, about. That would be absolutely uh, hard game to play without a translation patch. It's <laughs> probably after Racing Lagoon. That's the next racing game I want to see translated, but uh, don't think that one's ever going to happen. No, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> but that's that's a good. Day. I think those two are good ones, and then. Um, the other one that I'd actually written down was the um, the Runabout series. You get much experience. Oh with that? yeah, yeah. I played the I played the Dreamcast one <laughs> on a burned uh, uh, CD-ROM, and it was uh, it's a weird game. <laughs> yes, very fucking strange, man. That's one of the reasons I want to talk about it because my oh my, these are weird games. <laughs> I I just distinctly remember like playing the game for the first time and as i said i burned it this was probably like 2011 or 2012 and i'm just trying to figure out why is there the sound the unmistakable sound of a dog barking like every 15 <laughs> seconds and it has I, I was thinking i was like oh i must have botched like the the burn like whatever rom i picked up is borked like it didn't something went wrong so i think i burned another one and it was exactly the same thing. And I was like, no. And then I found like a YouTube video. And I'm like, no, this game is just that weird. It just plays random sound effects for no reason at all. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just such a weird game. The whole series is like something out of a fucking creepypasta or something, man. Because the <laughs> random sound effects side of things, the random missions that get weirdly dark sometimes as well in the later games. Um,. Some of the endings to run about to on the PlayStation 1 specifically are very fucking strange. They have to be seen <laughs> to be believed, so YouTube that if you, you want to kind of preempt a bit of madness. Um, 
Yeah, I just think it'd be funny to try and talk about these games and rationalise what they are based off of our small discussion about Enthusia's intro. Because I feel as if Runabout is like the game series <laughs> equivalent of that type of like illogical nonsense. Yeah, if you look up images of Super Runabout on, on Google, um, one of the first ones you'll see is a freeze frame from like one of those ROM sites. And it's just like a guy <laughs> driving a truck and in the middle of the screen, there's just like a word, a message pops up that says, got the hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sum up. Then. <laughs> Charge the cable car. There's another one. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, this, this looks yeah. great. I, I vote... I vote that this is our uh, our first episode of next year. Yeah, I think that that'd be a good way to start um, 2022. Um, it's definitely it <laughs> definitely lives up to what should be another crazy year. Um, while everybody's getting hyped for GT7, we'll be having our brains absolutely melted by a runabout. I think that's that sounds pretty accurate. Mm. San Francisco edition. Uh because that's that's the one on the Dreamcast. Um, I think I I don't know what happened to the copy I burned. I, I may have lost it, but um, regardless, there were there were these on a bunch of different systems. So I'm assuming we'll be able to we'll be able to uh, to easily uh, emulate if not if not actually get the games themselves. Yeah, apparently there was one in the 3DS. I did not think the CDs lasted that long. The first one was called Felony 1179 in the U.S. and has a picture of a Dodge Ram bursting through a picture of a beach. <laughs> like it's it's very it's, yeah. This this age of like we have to make our you know very weird, very strange, very like non-Western culture racing games or just any game as as palatable to westerners as possible it's usually was just like making it especially in america just as angry and fucking aggro like the idea of like seeing like the cops font on the on the cover of this game when you know it's runabout <laughs> i've got a feeling this oh series is going to have like a, a little subset of hardcore fans as well i really do think they're probably out there i don't know why i've just got this feeling that something this weird and Strange definitely has a subset of like hardcore fanatics. It's got to. Otherwise, how would the series survive? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to check out for sure. I look forward to it. Yeah, bring it on. Uh, but yeah, I think you know that's uh, a good place to end, and it was a nice little stroll down the previous year we've had and uh, things we're excited about in the year that is to come. Obviously, we're both uh, mega excited for GT7. That that goes without saying, which is why we didn't really say it much during this episode. But um, <laughs> when when that when that comes around, that's gonna that's gonna you know consume, uh, surely consume its own podcast and and maybe more. So next year is gonna be a fun one. It comes out. Uh, that game comes out. Uh, I think like two weeks before my birthday. So um, yeah, I'm gonna. When it does, I might I might just take like a day or two off and just if any of my co if any of my coworkers uh, are listening to this uh, or if you don't see any any output on Jalopnik from me on those like two or three days a week the Gran Turismo comes out the reason is because I'm playing Gran Turismo. <laughs> Man, I think so many annual Eve days are going to be taken like in our <laughs> Discord server. It's just going to be like <laughs> everybody will have the time off work. I think um, it was. Um, Paul, uh, who'd said that 
we do a GT Thursday session, obviously, and then look at midnight, we'll just transfer over to GT7 and race a shit box for another few hours online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, that might that might be a, a case where we have to break out the streams again. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, maybe that's something we put on the wish list to try and do more streams, but do more we've streams. seen it many times, man. Oh, the amount of effort it goes into streaming, all, all hats off to anybody listening that does that on a regular, because the effort involved, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, streamers, streamers uh, deserve all the love. That's it, mate. That's it. <laughs> Well, thank you uh, for listening to this episode, and indeed, you know, thank you for uh, the year of, of support. And, you know, if you've been following us for a while, we really do appreciate it. And uh, anything, you know, any sort of uh, comments you send to us on Twitter, and of course, everybody who is a member uh, who is active in the Time Extend Discord, that is course available to anyone who who wants to join just send us a dm uh we thank you for your support involvement just uh, shooting the shit with us in any uh in all of the ways that you do uh it's what really keeps us doing this um and and yeah i can't say enough can't say enough about that so as we as we uh enter into 2022 just nice to talk about what we're thankful for and um isn't that what the holidays are all about? <laughs> exactly. Um, hope everybody has a fantastic festive period, um, however you celebrate it. And we'll see you in 2022 to lose our minds to run about and everything else that comes after that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a great one. All right. See ya. Cheers, guys.